talking to 4-H kids and FFA kids in rural areas and and getting them exposed and that when you can get out in front of them and talk to them about it and then they can start talking about it among themselves, that's where we're going to see the real change. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. On today's episode, my co-host is fellow podcaster Ann Heinrich. Ann is the Vice President of Development at Mental Health America of Eastern Missouri. Today, Ann and I are going to interview Ann's friend, Jason Meadows. Jason is the host of the podcast called Ag State of Mind. His podcast focuses on mental health and how it affects people involved in agriculture. He interviews both professionals and producers about addressing mental health in agriculture and how to adequately remedy those stressors. And just a little background on Jason, he's a husband, father of four boys, rancher, and a pharmacist. He lives in Crawford County, Missouri, and operates a 120-head cow and calf operation. He also works full-time as a pharmacist at a regional hospital. So now I'm going to turn things over to Anne so she can explain why she's so excited to interview Jason today. Well, I'll tell you, Matt, thanks for having us. I really appreciate the opportunity. It, we, it's just a small world and you just kind of never know how things are going to come full circle. But I came to know Jason. Both Jason and I are, were both raised in the same hometown of Cuba, Missouri. You know, I'm still very connected. My parents still live in Cuba, and I had heard through a good friend a little bit about Jason. And of course, I remembered who he was. And someone told me about uh, his podcast, Ag State of Mind. And I was fascinated by it and reached out to him right away to just connect and find out what he was doing. And at the time, we were considering doing a podcast for Mental Health America. And so he's been very gracious and kind of helping coach me a little bit and give me some tips on how he got started. Ag State of Mind is a great podcast. I'm just, I listen to every episode. It's very engaging. He, I, th- I think, Jason, you found a real, a real, you know, definitely an audience there. And so tell us a little bit about, I'd love, we'd love to just hear about how you got started with it and kind of what motivated you to, to take that leap. Sure. Well, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on here this evening. I, I love to tell my story. I love to just kind of introduce it to, to new folks. It's, you know, I think that's what everybody wants to do is to get their podcast or whatever they're trying to create in front of new people. So I always appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. And like you said, I grew up, we both grew up in the same hometown, Cuba, Missouri. My, my parents were heavily involved in agriculture. I, I say were, they still are. My dad owned the local livestock market. We had a, had a big farm, had a big farm for a long time. There's four siblings, two brothers, two sisters, and me. I'm the baby by, by, by a long shot. I grew up, I, I was involved in agriculture, but not super involved. I, I never saw it as something I would do for the rest of my life. Well, I went to, I left for college to, I went to St. Louis College of Pharmacy in the fall of 2002. And immediately I realized that I wanted to be back home. You don't know how much you enjoy your hometown until you leave it for a little while. And that was the case for me. 
I went through pharmacy school and got my degree. I moved back home in 2008 and moved back to the farm. And this whole time, I, I and, and I wrote about this on our on the blog where I wrote on your guys' website where I, I started de- like started dealing with anxiety a lot when I was in college because of the stress of pharmacy school, but also the stress of living in the city when I wasn't used to it and it wasn't where I wanted to be. And I really had my own struggle with that. And I, at the time, I self-medicated with alcohol the way a lot of men do, I think. And I moved back home. I met my wife-to-be, and but she wasn't going to put up with that. <laughs> she wasn't going to put up with me kind of masking these symptoms. So I still had that anxiety, but I found more healthy ways to to feel about it, to to talk about it, actually see someone about it and got it under control. Really, I felt I felt really confident in my ability to manage it myself. And it was at that point where I had some things happen on the farm that I realized that were things that hurt, that that I had reacted to negatively in the past and had recognized that I had gotten better and said, huh, you know, what if I'm sure if I feel this way, there are other people who feel this way. And how can I be of, of service to them? And when it just kind of popped in my mind, I, I'd been listening to podcasts a lot and it kind of, I said, well, why, why can't I start one? I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea how to start a podcast, but I did it. I found all the resources. I found how to, I reached out to some people who were potential mentors and became mentors to me. And that was in July of 2019. Here we are in July of 2020. I've recorded 43 episodes, I think, or I've released 43 episodes. I've recorded more than that that are out yet. And yeah, it's been a really cool experience and getting me connected with so many great people talking in the mental health space. Can you look back on those 40 something podcasts? Which one would you recommend someone listen to right now, especially everything that's going on in the world? I have gained something out of all of them. But because every everybody I've talked to has been an amazing asset to mental health, to the agriculture industry, all these things. But with with what's going on, that's a good question, Matt. So my probably the one of the one of the episodes that I really recorded that really I felt like hit home and I it struck a chord with with me was actually my latest episode that was released, and that was episode forty one with Sam Goldberg. He's the director of Silo the Film and. He's somebody who is an outsider to agriculture who made this film about life on a farm, life in a rural community and how it was his scene from different viewpoints. And we got to talk about his project and what he learned through that. Then I actually got to see the movie later. And then I talked to him about my own experiences and how I saw myself through the main character, his dynamic with his father. And it was really like to me, that was one of the that was like a really special one. And it's not not just because of of it being the most recent, but because I saw so much of myself in the movie. He, I just felt like he got so much right. Tell me more about that movie. What, what really moved you? The character's main, the main character, the main farmer is Junior, and Junior is this prototypical. He's struggling farmer, but he kind of keeps all of his emotions kind of bottled in. But he has this relate. His father is has dementia. 
And seeing him struggle with his father with dementia is something that hits home for me because that's something that I deal with and struggle with. My own dad is, he's 84 years old. He has dementia. And, you know, that's hard for me to watch. It's hard for me to, to, it's hard for me to understand. It's hard for me to even deal with myself. So seeing that struggle on a screen and understand, knowing that somebody understands some of those kind of struggles that I go through, it was, was incredible. Right. You know, I have that same experience. I um, I have discovered. So, you know, I always talk about my why. And man, I don't know if I've shared this with you or, or not yet. But the whole reason, you know, I have a long, a long career in nonprofit and primarily in communications work, and you know, and some fundraising. Um, but there was just something, you know, per, uh, I, we have a personal connection. So uh, my husband and I have a have three children and our son, who just turned 22 this week, um, was diagnosed about three years ago with uh, schizophrenia. And that that was a game changer for for our family and for me personally as a parent. And just it it it's changed, helped me change course for my really my career and how I want to spend the rest of my time. Um, And one of the things that I've discovered um, when I'm fundraising or making connections or just trying to get people involved When I tell my story, when I'm liberated to tell our story, what I discover is it gives that person permission to tell their story a little bit. And every time you do that, then you're breaking down that stigma, you know, because a lot of times something like a serious mental illness, schizophrenia, bipolar, even anxiety and depression, um, that's not something you share on Facebook, you know, that, you know, most people, that's a party stopper. If people ask how you are, you know, you're not going to put whatever you've got going on that, you know, out there. Um, it, it makes people uncomfortable. And one of the things we talk about at Mental Health America a lot is, you know, if somebody were to ask, we don't hesitate to talk about, oh, I, you know, if I've got cancer or I've got diabetes or I take medicine for heart disease, or we don't think twice about, about mentioning that. But as soon as we start getting into mental health, people get uncomfortable and, and I feel like that's part of my role personally and professionally is to start removing some of that stigma, because the fact of the matter is everyone is impacted in one way or another by mental health challenges of one kind or another. If you're not experiencing it yourself, you know someone who is. So, Jason, can you talk to us about the stigma of mental illness among those people who are farmers, people who are ranchers, people who do, you know, oftentimes they are pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And plus, when you're in rural areas, you do have limited access to mental health care. Let's talk about that stigma and and what, what that is like for the community that you're talking to. So like, that's the biggest thing. Like, that's the biggest challenge, I think, is getting some of these, this, this, there's this culture among agriculture to be independent because Let's face it, you have had to, we have, we, I mean, not, not me myself, but I know, I know several people who live, who, I mean, it's an hour, two hours to the closest town. So, I mean, so to go and talk about your feelings and talk about the things that are bothering you mentally and the things that you think about, I mean, that's, that's just not been encouraged for so long. I mean, so it's just part of the culture to just suck it up and deal with, deal with whatever comes your way. And that's, that's a valuable thing until it's not. 
I mean, it's hard because you don't want to take away that independent spirit because I think that independent spirit is what makes a good farmer, a good rancher, a good, uh, really a good, a lot of things, but being okay with, you know, somebody, somebody coming to lend a hand or being able to go talk to somebody. Well, we, so we hear about this all the time. You see videos all the time of there's a farmer who has cancer and they can't get their, they can't harvest their corn that that fall what do you see you see lines of combines coming down the road to help this guy get his corn in because he can't well i mean there's really no there really should be no difference in when we have some sort of mental health crisis we need to make that we need to make it as normal a part of of this lifestyle of this culture so we're just as comfortable helping somebody out in that scenario as we would in the cancer scenario among farmers, I believe that there is a really high rate of suicide. I would love to get your take on that. Well, I think it's isolation is a lot of it. I think people not people like feeling othered, feeling like, well, I'm the only one that's going through this. There's no nobody else. There must be something wrong with me because I'm feeling this way. And I think they get people get into their they get they get into this vicious cycle when they start talking to themselves and they have this negative self-talk and they start running these scenarios and then they're like, one thing goes wrong and they don't talk about it. Then another thing goes, it's just this compounding stress. They, the only legitimate way they can feel like they can get out of that is, is suicide. And it's so sad. There was an episode I had with a, a, a young lady who recently lost her brother to suicide. Uh, it was episode 34 with her name's Kate Niemeyer. And she talked about that. And she talked about how her brother's suicide affected her and her family and how she never, never knew anything was wrong with him. And if she would have known if something was wrong with him, obviously she would have helped him out and obviously she would have done something, but he didn't see it that way. And I think what, I think that what needs to be done about this is it has to start being, we have to start saying things that we have to make it a comfortable culture to where we talk about these things. And my, my biggest talk about this through this whole thing, this whole journey I've been on is the fact of being the, the process of being proactive instead of reactive. You know, when we can get out there and when we can get ahead of these things, when we can talk to people, when we can go to a therapist when we need to, when we can get on, even if it's we need to get on medication before um, before it's too late. I mean, because there's always somebody who's going to care about you and always somebody who wants to know, wants to know your struggles and wants to help you out with them. There's always going to be somebody. I mean, there are going to be people who say things, but those people are just not educated on the situation. There are way more people who will be understanding than not. As difficult as this time has been, I want to say that telehealth has really taken a quantum leap and really started to break down barriers that obviously when you live in rural areas and you have to drive multiple hours to get to a mental health facility, that's a big barrier. And so what are your thoughts on telehealth and serving the population who live in non-metro areas? Yeah. And I think it, and sometimes it's the, it's the, it's the only option. It's obviously better than no interaction at all. I mean, way better. I mean, it's, and some people may 
come to find. And I think, and that's another thing I'll talk about too, is especially the younger generation is going to probably be more comfortable with that because they've been exposed to so much technology. And just like in podcasting and being able to meet virtually in a business, geography no longer becomes a factor. The distance you have to drive no longer becomes an issue when finding a therapist. That'll segue into something else I, I always try to talk about. And that's one of the one of the key things in doing this work is getting it to and I'm talking about for me myself, I'm talking about kids in agriculture, but but the younger generation, the youth, getting them comfortable talking about it will be the only way that it gets eradicated or or almost completely broken down because we need to teach people and and let the let the early generations know that it's the they don't need to know that it's a problem to talk about these things it need, they need to know that it is it, it is, should be part of our normal dialogue that way they don't ever, there's never a problem talking about it and with me it's getting into talking to 4H kids and FFA kids in rural areas and and getting them exposed and that when you can get out in front of them and talk to them about it and then they can start talking about it among themselves that's where we're going to see the real change I'm very hopeful. I I think that's going to happen. One of the things that uh, Mental Health America of Eastern Missouri is launching this year is a, and it's just made me very hopeful, I have to say, uh, we're launching a collegiate mental health innovation council because most, co- most folks on college campuses will tell you that they're in a mental health crisis, managing a lot of kids that come to college, come to college already having experienced some mental health wellness challenges. Often when they're there, it's even worse. And the fear of the stigma turns into a barrier for barrier to treatment. And so one of the things that we're doing is developing this innovation council. I'm very excited about it. And, you know, it's going to give these students an opportunity to start advocating, learning about mental health advocacy and volunteering and organizing and just figuring out you know, ways to start elevating that conversation so it's not so, not as taboo. I think a lot of what will move some of the college to change, colleges and universities to change, is when the students start to say, this is what we want, this is what we need. And so, but, you know, in, in our research for that, we're working with young students, we're going to have this, she's a nationally recognized mental health advocate named Cecilia McGow. She's going to be our featured speaker for the for a kickoff event, and she travels around the world uh, and is a real influencer in that space um, to help us do the kickoff. But I've spent quite a bit of time with with Cecilia and having met her and talked with a lot of these other young people that are doing it. it the needle is moving. It really is. I think I, it's my hope that by the time I have grandchildren, I, that there's going to be a big change. I think we're going to be over some of that hurdle. I think you're right. I think it. I think it's only getting better every day. It's sometimes maybe slower than we'd like, but I think it's. I think it's really important that you guys are start, are doing that initiative in, in, in collegiately because I feel like that's when so many so many of the mental illness, mental health things start to manifest. I mean, I know they did. I mean, I talked about it earlier. That's when it did for me. Whenever, because there's some serious changes going through in your life. I mean, for me, I mean, I went from 
hometown Missouri and then boom, I'm in St. Louis and school was hard now and when it wasn't hard before and it was just it was, very, it was such such a challenge for me and that was a that was a huge uh, stepping stone for me is being able to adapt and I think anytime there's a severe change there's a there's a huge risk for a, a mental health disorder being a manifesting I, I I commend you guys I think that's a great thing that you guys are doing. You know, getting back to, you know, one thing that Matt might not know, but I know, Jason, uh, you know, you have four, is it, you have four sons, right? And the oldest one, is he, is your oldest son 15 now? Yeah, he just turned, just turned 15. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm interested to know, you know, you're talking about wanting the younger generation of, you know, not just kids who are in agriculture, but I, you know, I can, I know that your family is involved in that. What, have you started having these kinds of conversations with your, with your sons about it's okay for men to talk about their feelings and, you know. Not so much direct conversations, but just, just showing them, just being, trying to be an example. And obviously they know the work I'm doing. We talk about that, but we also, we sit down as a family and we talk about things. We talk about things that my family never talked about or my wife's family didn't talk about. We are having discussions and we are recognizing things in our kids that maybe we recognized in ourselves and hopefully getting, like I said, being proactive about it and getting, especially my, and you, you talk about the 15 year old and, you know, he's going through changes in life or he's in high school now and things are getting a little more complicated every single day and getting him to understand that it's okay to talk about feelings and it's okay to, it's okay to, to not be okay. I mean, there's, there are days that okay, but you're just going to have a crappy day and that's okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. And you know, I think we're, I think we're doing the best that we can. I can maybe think of two times in my, and I'm 53, that I saw my dad actually cry. So for us, that was an event. Like that was a, a shocking kind of thing. And I, I often, I don't, I, I think about what that must, must have been like for him as a man, you know, he's the caretaker. He's the one who's supposed to be taking care of, but to feel like you needed to always hold that in, hold it together. It's uh, uh, kind of unfair, really. Again, there, it, it goes back to that stigma. And I'll tell you, and I think our kids will tell you too, though, that they've probably seen me cry more than they've seen their mom cry. I, I do. I, I'm not afraid to do it. And it's, it, it's, I think it's healthy and I think it's, it's okay. You know, and I, you know, I remember there's been times and I, I'm mad at myself. I think about these things now when I do it, because there's been times before I really understood it, where I would tell my kids, don't cry. You don't cry. Don't cry like that. Don't. And you know, that's not healthy. No, it's okay to do that. Sometimes if it, if you really need it, that's your outlet, absolutely do it. Don't, just do it all the time if you can help it. But if that's your outlet, 100%, that's healthy. It's a normal emotion. This has been awesome. I want to wrap up. So I want you to start with, you know, directing us first, how to listen to your podcast, direct people to how they can listen to it. And two, an online resource that you would direct listeners to, especially those in those non-metro areas, maybe a, a mental health website that you've found helpful that you direct people to. 
Yeah, sure. So to find my podcast, my podcast is called Ag State of Mind. And I I always encourage most people, I think, listen to it on like Apple Podcasts, but it does have a website. It's the global, we're at the Global Ag Network, Ag State of Mind with Jason Meadows. I release episodes every Monday, sometimes extra episodes if if I am able to. I do have a blog, agstateofmind.com. That's where I haven't written very very much lately. It's been a busy summer. As far as resources goes, I do have a, I have an entire page of mental health resources on on my website. It's on the at the top the mental health resources page uh, at Ag State of Mind. So, but as far as in agriculture, uh, the, the the place I've found that has been the most helpful is it's a place called the Do More Agriculture Foundation, and they're actually they're out of Canada, but they have some just wonderful training and videos and just testimonials with other farmers. It's just a really great place and, and a place I've found a lot of inspiration in. So the best place to find out about Mental Health America Eastern of Eastern Missouri is on our website, and that's www.mha-em.org. And that's where you'll find a lot of great information about all of our direct service programs. We have a, a wonderful blog that has all different kinds of perspectives and voices. You'll find out great information about our events, including the Collegiate Council, our new podcast that we're launching. And it's also a great resource resource. We have a helpline for people who are looking. You can call right away and get information um, about finding local or real person to talk to on the phone. We have a self-help or a, a support group directory. And then also just a real deep knowledge-based collection of articles about all different kinds of topics, health-related topics. And the other neat thing we have is is part because we are part of Mental Health America. We we do, which is a national organization, we have an online mental health screening tool, which is fabulous. And it's it's free. You can click right on. It takes about five or 10 minutes and you can go through and do a screening to determine if kind of where you might stand on on different mental health situations. Situations. You can print that out and take it to your doctor. And what's really cool about that, we've discovered that if 40 uh, people who take a completed survey online tool results to a doctor are 40% more likely to get an action plan to uh, address whatever mental health challenge they're doing. So that's www.mha-em.org. Fantastic. And then I'm going to share a resource The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is phenomenal, especially for people in rural areas. You can call it 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. That number is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. And you can uh, visit them online at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And so as we finish up here, I want to thank Jason and Ann for being here with us on the Mental Health Download. This has been a real honor and a pleasure. Jason, as we do at the end of every podcast, we ask our guests to share a bit of wisdom and then tell people our rallying cry, which is go do good things. So Jason, can you share that bit of wisdom with us? These things that we struggle with, these things that we talk about, they are absolutely a normal part of our of, of, of thought. They're a normal part of life. And to reach out and let somebody know if you are struggling, it may be you've never known the difference. And, and on the other side of that, if you see somebody struggling or if you see something off in somebody, make sure you, you check on them. 
Go do good things. Absolutely. 